Our Old Testament reading is from Habakkuk 1, verses 2 through 11. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not listen? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see wrongdoing and look at trouble? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law becomes slack, and justice never prevails. The wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, judgment comes forth perverted. Look at the nations and see. Be astonished, be astounded, for a work is being done in your days that you would not believe if you were told. For I am rousing the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. Dread and fearsome are they. Their justice and dignity proceed from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more menacing than wolves at dusk. Their horses charge. Their horsemen come from far away. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence with faces pressing forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they make sport. They laugh at every fortress and heap up earth to take it. Then they sweep by like the wind. They transgress and become guilty. Their own might is their God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our gospel reading is from Luke 21, verses 25 through 28. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth distress among nations confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Okay, out of curiosity, anyone else out there have a split-second pause between the reading of the scripture and the words, this is the word of the Lord, and you are supposed to respond, thanks be to God. Anyone go, wait, what? Thanks be to God. Like, those are kind of hard words. Uh, we read this all together as a staff earlier in the week, and I had that pause of going, wait, what? I mean, one... We're, we're cutting our passage right in the middle of this conversation between the prophet and God, but it's also kind of hard words to hear. And it makes you go, why are we saying thanks be to God for these words? And more and more, I just can't help but think, well, it's because they're here, because they're actually included in our sacred text. And it's doing this really bold thing that we are not always so courageous to do, which is to actually sit and acknowledge the lament and the discontinuity in what it is, this human experience in a broken world. There's something um, distinctly at odds, and I'm fully aware of this as well, between this passage, what we're reading, and 
the lights and the beauty and walking outside and there's the Christmas village and there's all of these um, social indicators that are all over the place that we're supposed to be in a time of great joy and celebration where everything is beautiful and happy, right? That's kind of what we see outside. And then here in this time of Advent in church, we're going lament, pause, and say, how long, O Lord? So I'm aware of this discontinuity, but I think it's really important because for some of us, this Christmas holiday season is one of curated music lists that we love to listen to, um, of long lists of things that we are buying and travel itineraries and lots of holiday parties and these cozy movies where you don't have to wait all that long to get to a really spectacular and happy conclusion. But the honest reality is for some of us in Resurrections community, this Christmas holiday season is actually quite difficult because it pulls up all of these complex family relationships. It kind of brings up the financial insecurity some of us feel, especially with this drive to buy, 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 buy. Um, it makes us deeply exhausted in trying to exude this false holiday cheer all the time. And so in this complexity, Advent is a time for us to essentially know that Advent is different than a holiday Christmas season. So Advent gives us a chance not to escape. So whether that's escaping into the holiday season or escaping out of the holiday season, Advent is an opportunity for us to engage the reality of what is and the reality of where we are. So Jesus leads us into a way of being in the world that is already and not yet. It's a time between in which we live. This, in a, in a way, we could say the church is always living in this Advent season of waiting because we're in a time between Christ is risen and Christ will come again. Okay, so why are we doing Habakkuk during Advent? Aside from the fact that it's fun to say his name, there's a lot of K's in the name and it's just a little bit bizarre. We like to be different, so that's fun. But Habakkuk presents the same kind of context. It's a time between and a time of waiting. And so let's put this into a little historical context because you know I love to do that. Um, so we're looking at a time in the Israelite kingdom where there's already been a split. There's a northern kingdom of Israel, southern kingdom of Judah. And this whole entire biblical sphere, this world has been completely dominated by this fierce, ferocious kingdom of Assyria. And Assyria has already ruthlessly been in and has demolished the northern kingdom of Israel, basically taken people into captivity and then transplanted them with foreigners that are now living in their land. Assyria almost completely demolished the southern kingdom of Judah. In fact, it wiped out all of their frontier cities and almost destroyed the, king, the city of Jerusalem at the ninth hour or 11th hour, I suppose it's supposed to be, 11th hour, they're saved. 
and Assyria pulls back. But the southern kingdom of Judah is paying massively heavy tributes to Assyria. So they're crippled, basically. Their economy has been crippled by Assyria. And there are years and decades of just serving this ferocious foreign empire. And then the Chaldeans rise up. From, and see, I'm doing this because I have a big map in my head and I can't help but point to where they're coming from. But weird Cindy Parker brain. The Chaldeans are coming up from the southern part of Mesopotamia and they have established Babylon, the city of Babylon, as their capital city. Babylon is on the way to Judah. Not because Judah is important in any way. Judah is a little bit inconsequential, basically, on the international world scene. But Judah sits on the routes that will carry Babylon to Egypt, and Egypt is really where they're going. Judah will give them a source of income, and so they will take Judah as well. So when we start the book of Habakkuk, we're in this gap, this time when the Chaldeans are taking Babylon and establishing Babylon, but they've not yet arrived in Judah. And this gap of time is about 20 years. So sometime in that time period is the book of Habakkuk. And in this 20-year gap, the southern kingdom of Judah is experiencing a little bit of prosperity. They no longer ha are paying tributes to this big, imposing, foreign, dominating empire. And so they're flourishing. And in the power gap that exists, they're expanding just a little bit. And yet there's a moral decrepitude that is also starting to inch in. And so the poor are not being paid for their forced labor. There are innocent people who are being killed and no one is calling them to account. Even the prophets and the priests are taking advantage of their authority and demolishing the reputation of people. And here I'm thinking of the contemporary of Habakkuk, who is Jeremiah, who is experiencing all of this. There's very little that we actually know about the person Habakkuk. And except for a few notations throughout the book, we think maybe he's a Jerusalem-based, potentially a, a temple priest, could be. When we start to read Habakkuk, we see him say to God, things are not the way that they should be. And God, they're not the way you want them to be. Do something about it. So this sounds a little bit like this opening quote. So if you want to turn in your bulletin to the opening quote that we have on page three. So this is a quote from Tish Warren. And it says, Advent offers wisdom to the wider world. It reminds us that joy is trivialized if we do not first intentionally acknowledge the pain and wreckage in the world. So this sounds a lot like the book of Habakkuk, and Habakkuk can help us with this acknowledgement. So the text begins with a dialogue between Habakkuk and God, and we will ultimately move on to a psalm of praise. And this book is going to help us just honestly think about injustice without falling into cynicism. It's going to model for us what it means to prayerfully seek the Lord in the midst of suffering. And it's going to help us learn how to view our own circumstances through God's lens instead of our own. 
So today's passage, we start with the initial dialogue between Habakkuk and God, and Habakkuk is given the first words. So if we look at these words in verse two, oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not listen? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? You can hear this emotion and fervor in the voice of the prophet. It's a recognition that there is a gap between what God wants and what is actually existing. The content and the form of this book is actually a lot like these songs of lament that we get that actually are the majority of the Psalter. They just happen to be words that we don't like to read so much as a church community. Um, we could call these songs of disorientation. They actually point out what is wrong in the world. They usually start with an eye focused. I am feeling the weight and burden of the injustices in the world. Sometimes they then move on to, and it's your fault, God. Why have you abandoned your people? What is wrong with you? Why don't you wake up and show up? Every once in a while in the songs of lament, there's a little bit of a, Ugh, go away. I'm so frustrated, like in this moment that we have. And understandably, these are uncomfortable passages. They are more of the passages that make it really hard for us to say, thanks be to God, at the end of reading those passages. But they have a very important function. When you lament in good faith, you're actually opening yourself up in full human honesty before God. And it's saying, no matter what it is that you have to say, you have an audience with God. And it puts you right at the very beginning of clearing the way so that you can get to praise. And then when you get to praise, it's an honest praise of who God is. So the songs of lament assume that not only is God engaging you, but God is going to help you turn the tears into laughter. So Habakkuk is a bit like this. He opens with this language of suffering and allows us as a community to practice what it means to acknowledge the injustices around us. And it helps us, again, as a community, refocus on God as the source of hope and of transformation. So it's the very beginning of this dialogue with God, assuming that he is going to do something about it. And like with boastful laments, once you kind of clear the way, there is transformation that happens. So there is beauty even in the lament that Habakkuk offers at the beginning of this passage. And if we were to read what Heath Thomas points out specifically about this prophet Habakkuk, he says, the prophet can identify what has gone wrong in the world precisely because he knows of God, his order, and his justice instilled in creation itself, the goodness of the creator God becomes the ground by which the prophet can raise his voice in prayer. So these passages are actually quite important for us because I think as a modern church, we need to recognize that giving voice to these complaints and laments is not the admission that God has failed in some way. It's actually a bold act of faith 
because it's claiming we will stand and see the world as it truly is, not the way the world or we sometimes like to pretend it actually is. So in speaking of the laments out loud and in prayer means there's also an invitation to be transformed. God speaks next in these verses, and this is going to be starting in verse 5 in the passage here. And God says, I am doing something. I am at work today. The problem is when you read and it's like, I'm bringing up the fierce Babylonians and we get things like, I'm rousing the Chaldeans. They are dread and fearsome. Their horses are swifter than leopards. They all come from violence and they think their strength is their God. So it makes us kind of pause and go, well, that's an answer a bit disproportionate to the complaint that I brought before you, right? But we see in here, God is kind of is reorienting Habakkuk away from his smaller world into what is the longer horizon line of, on which God is working. So we also see in this passage that there is a bit of judgment that is at play for all the injustices that are going on in Judah. In a way, also when we look at and recognize that judgment is coming for injustices, it makes us kind of look a little further down this horizon line, this historical timeline. So we move from Habakkuk and indeed the Chaldeans were not the ultimate answer. Neither were the Persians, neither were the Greeks, neither were the Romans. Jesus ends up being the ultimate answer. And in this super perplexing way, the divine takes on the limiting experience of humanity and then takes on the judgment for all the justices, injustices that humanity created. Advent reminds us that we are yet in the battle of kingdoms. God's kingdom with Jesus on the throne and the kingdoms that arise from our human societies. There are kingdoms here that are at war with each other and we are being asked to consider which kingdom are we belonging to. And so Advent, we have a fast before the feast and it's an opportunity to actually acknowledge the aspects of our lives that don't seem to match God's design. And then to take all of those pieces before a very merciful, loving God. As a resurrection community, we're about to say the creed. And if you want to turn and look, if you haven't had it memorized already, we're looking at page 10. And in this second stanza, we start with affirming the birth narrative. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. But we also affirm the end bit of that second stanza. He is seated at the right hand of the Father and he will come to judge the living and the dead. So this season of Advent is not the waiting for the first coming of the Messiah. This Advent is waiting for the second coming of the Messiah. And Advent creates this pause to fast, to take stock of life and what is not yet ready for Christ's second coming. 
and an invitation and asking for ourselves to be transformed. As a community, we're going to take time to sit with Habakkuk over the next couple weeks, and we're going to stubbornly see and lament the injustices around us. And I encourage you to go home and read the rest of Habakkuk. It's super short. It's only three chapters. Um, but get all the way to the end and then just put it on repeat during this Advent season. This process helps us avoid the denial of the disorientation that we feel in life. So the words of Habakkuk may not give us the cozy emotions of a holiday time, but they ring true with the genuine uncomfortableness that we feel of living in the gap between kingdoms and between darkness and light, between where we are and how God designed us to be. So it doesn't matter, well, it does matter, but I would say for all of us, this is an invitation not to escape, escape into the holiday season or escape out of the holiday season, but instead to engage. And in the weeks ahead, may we genuinely engage the book of Habakkuk and sincerely conclude with the words, thanks be to God. Let's pray. How long, O oh Lord, must we sit and wait? Must we wait for the injustices that we see around us, for the obvious display of consumerism that is all around us in the face of so many who are experiencing homelessness and a lack of basic needs provided. How long, O oh Lord, are we going to watch those in power abuse their power? May instead we sit and orient our eyes to you, understand what your great horizon line is like, the way that you are acting. Help us to take stock not only of our own lives, but in the fasting and the giving up of our consumeristic tendencies. May we create space for seeing the world and the people of this world the way that you do. May we end this season by falling in love with who you are and acknowledging your power and your strength and the fact that you do sit above this world and yet heavily involved in the moments and the lives of everyone who is in this world. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.